We now ask for your kind and careful attention as our brother Mick Roberts leads us in the word of exhortation this morning entitled, Behold My Servant. Brother Mick. Very good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, thank you again uh, for the, uh, the welcome, and we will indeed uh, take our love back with us, um, back to the UK. Uh, I think at the start, I would, I would just like to say one thing to the young people. Following our time yesterday, did you wake up and think for a moment that today might be the day. As your brothers and sisters, we, we spent some time yesterday with the young people talking about the return of Jesus. When will it be and, and how will we be watching? And I'm sure a weekend like this will have had an awful lot of effort and planning which will have gone in. And yet I wonder whether we thought that the day would come or would the Lord be here first? And I guess when you come together as you have at this gathering on an annual basis, it's always worth reminding ourselves, is this the last time before the Lord comes? That the Toronto Ecclesias meet in this way. Indeed, is it that he's going to come before we meet next week? So, brethren and sisters, uh, beholding the servant is something that we need to do as aspiring servants of the master. We, we need to continually find ways of strengthening ourselves. And beholding him is as good a way uh, as I can think. Uh, we behold him in the emblems. We behold him in the word. And if we look to him, then we can indeed perhaps find the strength and the example to be the sort of servants that we would want to be for him. I don't know what the pictures are that you have of the Lord, brothers and sisters. This idea of carrying pictures around, I know it's not unique in the UK, and especially with the, uh, the increase in use of, of cell phones, that it used to be that people would just carry a picture of the people who were special. The people that had a, had a special place in their heart, they would, they would be a picture in their wallet or their purse, and now, of course, with cell phones, uh, you, you don't just get a picture. You get a movie or you might get 25 pictures. Uh, and you kind of lead into conversations about uh, these people who are special. Um, they're not just on a fridge magnet anymore. They're not just uh, uh, in the dining room. They're not just in a scrapbook anymore. The people who we behold, who are important to us, we carry around with us. And we've, we've been enough, in enough homes in Ontario uh, uh, to know the fridge magnets are well used in this county. <laughs> and I'm sure if we, if we had the time, we'd be uh, sharing the cell phone pictures, which leads into, oh, this is, this, is, oh this, is, this is three weeks old. He's changed since then. 
And it's a great way of sharing with others those people who are special in our hearts. Behold, look, look at him. Look at her. And when we see those faces, brothers and sisters, it, uh, it lifts us. You, you've only got to look at someone when they're sharing a picture with you that you can see that they are as excited as they want you to be. When they show you the picture, look, look at him. Look at him. And you kind of feel yourself getting swept along with that enthusiasm. Because when they see that picture themselves, it speaks to them. It, it emotionally connects with them. It, it opens up a channel of thought that, that is hard and we needn't even worry beginning to explain. But there is just sometimes that the image of a loved one just instantly brings a smile, it brings a memory, it, it, it stirs us, it inspires us, it, it brings out all sorts of things. So when we come to break bread and we meet with our brethren and sisters, I wonder what picture you have brought of the master, the servant, the servant, who we are called to remember. We all carry pictures of the master, don't we, in our mind. And I know sometimes when we see some of those beautiful paintings from centuries ago, we, we, we admire the skill and we cringe at the scriptural inaccuracy. But I can understand in a way how people want to express what they feel and, and what they may have read in the scriptures and how they may have tried to tell the story. They didn't have the benefit of cell phones and so on. They would want to try and capture in some way the emotional feeling of the images that they have taken from the word. So we paint, brothers and sisters, I think, pictures, don't we, in our minds? We behold the servant. And we've seen him in our, in our reading from John. We've seen him as the risen Lord. We've seen him showing the marks. What was it that uh, they were told? Those who, who would be blessed, who haven't seen, but believe. Because we've only seen it in our mind's eye. We've only seen through the power of the words of Scripture that these things are true and that they really happened. And we speak with conviction to our children that these things really happened. And when we think of our master, brothers and sisters, whom we know as God's son, the future king of the world, and when we contrast that with how the kings of the earth portray their leaders, their masters, their rulers. Again, if you, if you go back to the paintings, as it were, back to the Middle Ages, 
There will be the king. If I think of merry old England and our kings, you know, they, they were a fine looking bunch. They would all be there with their military regalia. They would be there on their noblest of steeds and with their mightiest of swords. And I guess now we will find when the rulers of this world, the the rulers and kingdoms of men will portray their leaders and masters, their pictures will be neatly choreographed and neatly airbrushed. And maybe they will be there with a row of medals right across the chest. Maybe they'll be there just stage managed beautifully to be aboard the aircraft carrier with the jets behind as they stand there in their imposing statesmanlike stance. Maybe they'll be there taking the salute from the entire army as they march by. That's what they see. Brothers and sisters, our master doesn't look like that. He didn't take the salute. He took the towel and the basin and the jug and the water. And he washed their feet. Isn't that, brothers and sisters, the man who we see, the servant? whom we behold as we meet today to remember him. Just turn with me, will you, to the words that we find in John 13. Knowing what we know of our Lord's command of his Father's word, Jesus knew that his time was near. He had told his followers of the suffering which he would face. And he knew, brothers and sisters, those words that we had read for us from Isaiah. He knew those words from the Psalms. And it's in that context, brothers and sisters, that he washed their feet. So so it's not just here when we read that that Jesus did these things and we, we think it's a most wonderful act of humility. He's teaching them something. He's teaching us something, brothers and sisters. And it's in the context of giving everything. You know, we, we talked the other day, didn't we, about the servant who has done everything. And when he comes in, there's still yet more to do. You know, just even thinking about uh, speaking for you. You know, I, I, I just think I, need, I just need a few minutes to get my thoughts together and just sit, sit quietly. I wonder what the Lord needed before he did what he did. And yet there he was on his knees, washing the feet of his disciples. 
the opening verses of chapter 13 says that before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart from this world to be with the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end and supper being ended and the devil having already entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. That's the man, brothers and sisters, That's the servant, that's the love, that's the example, that's our Lord. And we know the dialogue that happens there with Peter, don't we? Oh, Peter yet again, Lord, you're not going to die. I'm not having this. Lord, you're, you're not washing my feet. And of course, we've... See him yet again in conversation. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. We might say, I love my master. In which case, Peter, you have to feed, you have to nourish, you have to provide for your brethren and sisters. You have to follow me. And of course, as the record tells us in John, Jesus was signifying for him that he would also be in bonds. Here we are, brothers and sisters. We can see ourselves, can't we, in these things? The master serving us. The master calling for us to feed and to follow and to be, as it were, in bonds. We've gone from being slaves to sin to being, as Paul puts it to the Romans, slaves to God, giving everything in the service of our Heavenly Father. The beautiful passage that we had read for us from Isaiah, we know is a powerful one, and and we often use it when we come together to break bread. It's it's in part the beauty of the language as it comes across to us in, in Scripture, the way in which particularly the authorized version or the New King James words and presents the suffering servant to us. It's almost like a Shakespearean speech, we might know it so well, the eloquence with which it paints the picture for us. And it's no wonder that the Jews, as a a people, are clearly very uncomfortable with this passage of Scripture, which paints the picture of the Messiah suffering as he does and how it echoes through into our New Testament. And we can see the true meaning of these things. We know, don't we, that uh, it's the very passage that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. 
when Philip is, is drawn to be alongside him. And the Ethiopian eunuch asked that fundamental question, well, who is this that the prophet is writing about? Is it himself? Is it, is it somebody else? And, and in a way, sisters, the Ethiopian is asking the question that the world keeps asking. Who is this man? Who is, is this individual, this servant that is being spoken about? And we know him to be the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're saying to the world, brothers and sisters, aren't we, to turn aside from those who would have the medals across the chest, who would have the aircraft carriers behind, who would have the trusty steed and the strongest sword. We're saying, turn your back on those and behold this man. Now, I don't know how good a conversation, how good an exhortation, presentation it was that Philip gave. But boy, wouldn't you want to be in that chariot? When he says that he opens up at that very scripture and opens up for the Ethiopian eunuch and preaches to him the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a way, brothers and sisters, I... I I can almost see, I sort of have this idea of, 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 of Philip like a great uh, curator at an art gallery. You know, when they take you down the aisles and they show you all the pictures and explain the detail and the finite points of what you can see before you. I can almost see Philip there, painting the picture, opening up the eunuch's eyes to things that he hadn't seen and yet would believe. And he takes him picture after picture of this suffering servant and explains to him that it was necessary that these things happened, that men and women might be forgiven, that there may be redemption and reconciliation, there may be the hope of life, and it's all bound up in this man. Making the subtle connections, the richness of the meaning of each Word. It's no wonder, brothers and sisters, is it, that when the eunuch sees water, he wants to immerse himself into a new relationship with this man. And that's us, brothers and sisters. Somebody showed us the same pictures. Somebody explained to us just who he is. So if your Bibles are open there at uh, Isaiah 52. Verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And there's a kind of double play there, isn't there, brothers and sisters, in what's being said. Exalted and extolled, or literally lifted up. 
And of course, Jesus on a number of occasions talked about being lifted up, just as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. Even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Isaiah is painting this picture of a man who is lifted up and at the same time he is exalted, a servant exalted, a servant lifted up that he might draw men and women like you and me to him in that hideous sight at Calvary. And there's two things that strike me particularly, brothers and sisters. We're not going to wander through every verse, but this idea of beholding the man, we know that echoes through other parts, doesn't it? Even of the trial of Jesus. Behold the man. When we behold the man, what is it that we see? It's... uh, Hard verse to read, isn't it, brothers and sisters, that verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. This servant, brothers and sisters, what had been done to him We know we can read and we can rationalize in some way when we read the words as it's recorded for us in the Gospels. But the snapshot picture that we just get from Isaiah, almost in shorthand, that just says, do you know, it didn't even look like a man. Such was the wicked and cruel hands that had taken him. And yet this man who will sprinkle many nations. He will bring about that cleansing and that healing through his suffering. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. Oh, brothers and sisters, isn't that just a wonderful thought? The, uh, the great ranting and raving of the kings of this world. And yet this servant who we watch going to the cross to be nailed to the wood to serve his father forever. He goes in silence. He goes with dignity. He goes, as Isaiah puts it, without opening his mouth. He is led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. And when he does open his mouth, brothers and sisters, it's to ask for forgiveness for those who have done these things to him. We know as Isaiah continues in verse 53. Verse 2, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. 
And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So we, brothers and sisters, are privileged in that we see the beauty that goes well beyond the surface. The world only sees that man who was nailed to the cross, marred and blooded, weak and empty. But we see the beauty of a man dedicated in his service. We see the man who loved us so much that he lays down his life for his friends. And that's why, brothers and sisters, when he says, I want you to come together and take bread and wine and remember uh, my body and my blood, which has been given to you, it's, it's maybe a way that we can capture a picture of the one who we carry in our hearts. The one who inspires us. And yes, the one who brings a smile to our face. The Lord Jesus. Can we just turn to the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians? Surely, brothers and sisters, one of the great qualities and requirements of a good servant is that of humility. We know, don't we, how the Lord, prior to his death, was having to deal with disciples who were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Imagine that, brothers and sisters. Imagine the mental torment of facing what he faced and having those around him who are arguing about who would be the best. It's crazy, isn't it? Maybe it's teaching us, brothers and sisters, as we come to this letter that Paul wrote, when he speaks of humility and says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's the mind of a servant. It's the mind of one who gives without ceasing. It's a mind of one who loves without stopping. Let this mind be in you. So here's another picture, brothers and sisters. It's Paul giving us this picture. Who being in the form of God didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And it's in that spirit, brethren and sisters, that Paul goes on to try and show his love as a serving brother for his brethren and sisters. 
He talks later in the chapter about wanting to be with them. He wants to send Timothy. Just look on it in verse 19. I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. It's this mind, isn't it? This mind of the Lord Jesus. And Paul's saying, you know, there's, there's a little like-mindedness in Timothy. And there's got to be that like-mindedness in us, brethren and sisters. Because if we do, it means that we feed. It means that we follow. It means that we care. For all seek their own, says Paul, and not the things that are of Christ Jesus. But you know this proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. So, brethren and sisters, the mind of Christ is what we have to cultivate Not just in an abstract way, but here as we see in Philippians. That it might manifest itself in how we are with each other. That's what we need to do. We capture, brothers and sisters, in our minds, a picture of the Lord. And as we share the bread and wine and pass it among ourselves, maybe there'll be pictures that might inspire us and encourage us. The man who didn't fight back, the man who was silent and didn't seek justice, the man who was struck by the harshest and cruelest of men when he was innocent, leaving us an example. Serving as he was lifted up high. Serving when he was nailed to the wood, how he loved his father, how we love our master. And in the bread and in the wine, may we have evoked within us images of what he's done, that it inspires us and is there close in our hearts. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life. For his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things 
that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That's what he's done, brothers and sisters. Behold the man.